Hi, and welcome to Choice Words, a podcast by and for book nerds. My name is Ray. I am your book-infested blogger and local cryptid. And my name is Gracie. I am your local pigeon and published poet. (laughs) And today we are talking about kind of an interesting uh, concept. It's actually a concept that Gracie came up with. I mean, I didn't invent it, but it is. You invent it, but (laughs) but you're the only one who's posed the question in the way that you do, as far as I'm aware. Um, and so we're talking about what is your Fahrenheit 451 book? Yeah. Um, and in the midst of all of that, we'll also be talking about books that have impacted us over the years and how they've kind of shaped our perspectives and how Mm -hmm. we, um, proceed with reading and whatnot. Uh, I'm going to throw a quick disclaimer out there. Obviously, religious texts will have a huge impact on people's lives, um, especially, you know, myself. Um, But we're not going to be talking about religious texts. We're primarily going to be talking about fiction, Mm -hmm. um, just for the sake of simplicity. So to start out, um, Gracie's going to kind of explain a little bit of what they mean when they talk about um, what is a Fahrenheit 451 book. Where does that concept kind of come from mm-hmm. and what does it mean? Yeah. So it's funny because when I was in college and I was an English major, um, I really wanted to start a podcast and then never did. And I had a lot of different That's ideas. <laughs> yeah, it really took Ray being like, hey, you should start a podcast. Hey, you should start a- hey, we should start a podcast. And I was like, well, I don't have any of the recording. I have a microphone. <laughs> I really wanted to start a podcast. Yeah. And I was like, but I don't want to do it by myself. Yeah. Who else do I know that likes Almost all of the same things that I do, or at least is willing to talk to me about all of it. Exactly. And so... And behold. <laughs> and behold. A podcast. Um, but yeah, so I had many ideas for many different podcast topics that I will likely never get to. Sorry, everyone. Um, but one of them that I had kind of originally at least to talk to people about doing, mostly because I was trying to see if people would be interested and also potentially snagging some of my friends as guests, um, was this concept, I I was going to call it 451. So for anyone who hasn't read Fahrenheit 451, it's by Ray Bradbury, and a lot of things go on in the story, and this is not a book review, so I'm not going to get into all the details, but for the context of this idea, um, in the book... Um, books are destroyed. Books are seen as like a, um, they're, they're basically illegal. Right. They're like illegal to have and to own and to read. Yeah. Because they're too like out there. They, they make you think too much. Right. Yes. Very like 1984 and Fahrenheit 451 are in the same. It takes place in like a fascist society where books and literature are seen as like forces that would work against that fascist society, which they do. Um, (laughs) And so there is this community of people who have chosen a book to memorize so that even if every single copy of a book is destroyed, the story lives on. And so... Not the community as a whole memorizes it, but each individual person in that community memorizes a book. Each person memorizes a single book that they have chosen to to read and commit to memory so that, yeah, so that it, 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 it can still exist past its printed... Um, form, which I think is so interesting and love that concept. And so my idea for this podcast is that I would have people come on and talk about what that book would be for them. And so that's what we're going to do today, basically, is Ray and I are going to talk about our Fahrenheit 451 books. We're also, as Ray said, going to talk about other books because, you know, as anyone will tell you, anyone who's interested in a lot of literature cannot pick just one favorite book. (laughs) In fact, the book that is my Fahrenheit 451 book is not my favorite book. In fact, it's my least favorite of the ones I'm going to talk about today. 
Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> Start a podcast with somebody. Learn new things yeah. about them. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell us what your Fahrenheit 451 book would be? Yes. So I have always said that my Fahrenheit 451 book would be Catcher in the Rye. Um, and simply because it was... I thought that was your favorite no, book. No, it's not. <laughs> And my see, life is a lie. See, this is a thing. It's a recent change. It's a recent change. And see, that's the you thing. You have the same favorite book through all four years of college. Your English professors even commented on the fact. I know they did. That you I was the only English the, major the they had ever had. You were the only English major they had ever had that had the same favorite book through all four years of college. And now you decide to change it? I have been deceived. I am over this. <laughs> I have been your your friend, dedicated my entire life. life. And this is the thanks I get. I have been your friend for how many years? And this is the thanks I get. Um. Yeah, I think I just. This is like a change in religion. You can't just. You can't just change. Well, I have news for you. I did that too. That also happened after college. In college? I don't really know. Anyways. <laughs> you can't just spring this on me. I'm sorry. Yeah, normally, this is the other thing, is normally I have copious amounts of notes, and I go over some of them with Ray before the podcast. I did not do that today. <laughs> I just went, hey, how many books are you talking about? Because I've brought a list. <laughs> yeah, that's the difference between us, is Gracie will, like, have a ton of notes, and I'm just kind of like, I don't know, I've got some bullet points. I'm pretty much just going to pull the rest of it out of my ear. <laughs> Um, oh my god. <laughs> we got so direct. That's really fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I... <laughs> so the reason I would choose Catcher in the Rye as my Fahrenheit 451 book is because it was my favorite book for so long. And it is one of those books that has impacted me the most like long term as a reader. I read that book for the first time. I think I was in sixth grade. Mm. And from sixth grade until I was a sophomore in college, I read it once a year, every year, if not more than that. Mm. And so for the sake of, I probably have the majority of it memorized anyways. <laughs> and because I, I, I did for a very long time, it was a very important story to me. And it still is. I just, I think now I'm at a point where it's not my favorite book simply because I don't feel like it would be as impactful to me now if I were reading it for the first time. And also I think as I've gotten older, I've seen some of the like flaws in Holden Caulfield as a character mm-hmm. that I didn't when I was Holden Caulfield as a person. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I chalk it up to personal growth of like, I'm not a terrible person anymore, I hope. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I no longer feel quite so connected to that character as I once did. It's still definitely one of my favorite books. It's still the book I would pick for my Fahrenheit 451, but it's not my all-time ride-or-die favorite book. But it is probably, like, if someone were to ask me just randomly, what's your favorite book? It's still probably the book I would say, just because I don't necessarily have a favorite book in its place. Um, but... But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I think I've moved on. <laughs> and that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I didn't realize this was going to be such a hot topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, because like every time that we've it's talked true. about it, like the last time we had this conversation, 
It's possible when, I've when, even said it on podcast that that was my favorite book before. I I don't know that you. Have. I know I've referenced but, like, J.D. Salinger, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but like the last time we had this conversation, you straight up were just like, "Yeah, hands down, this would be my Fahrenheit 451 mm-hmm. book," and like you were so adamant about it. Yeah. And you. Uh, that was when you even said, "Yeah, I didn't have a difference in my favorite book the entire time I was in college." Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which for English majors is extremely rare. Yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. Huh. (laughs) Well, alrighty then. (laughs) What about you? What is your Fahrenheit 451 book? So, like you, my Fahrenheit 451 book is not my favorite book. um, But I feel like it's one of the books that has had the greatest amount of impact on me. And just, like, my literary journey. Mm -hmm. um, And also just some of... It's very interesting because the books that I feel have the largest amount of impact on me I see now reflected in like my own moral Mm. values now Mm -hmm. um, which really does just go to show that what you consume really does breathe into your own life yeah um in varied and very interesting ways um so my Fahrenheit 451 book would have to be Frankenstein Mm. um which it's on my reading list this year (laughs) yeah yeah, it's it's a very interesting book because I remember reading it in middle school for the first time I read it as an assigned reading book, which is really interesting because so many people are like, oh, I had to read this uh, for school and I hate it and I never want to read it again. I actually loved that book. Mm. And I think part of why I loved it is because it was one of the first times, not the first time, but one of the first times that I sat down and read a book that had such like deep and heavy meaning Mm. while still being just kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But like in middle school, I'm reading this book and like if... For for anyone who has ever read Frankenstein, obviously people, like, make fun of it because they're like, hmm, Victor's a little bit blah, blah, blah. I wonder if Mary Shelley was basing it off of Lord Byron. Like, of course she was basing it off of Lord Byron. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about it. <laughs> but it's so dramatic. But there are so many elements of it that I, I feel just spoke so deeply to me. Mm-hmm. Um... Like, these elements, everybody makes fun of the captain at the beginning of the book um, because they're like, oh, the only thing that he wants is to have a friend. Like, yeah, he's going on the sea for, like, a long amount of time. And, yeah, he's surrounded by a bunch (laughs) of people, but he's so lonely. Like, he Mm -hmm. doesn't have somebody that he can find as, like, a bosom companion, which was a feeling that I had then that I didn't recognize that I had then. Mm. And now that I'm older, I recognize it now. Yeah. Yeah, so there are just, there are so many elements in that story that I feel really morphed a lot of how I view literature Mm. um, and how I feel like I can approach literature. And that's the thing is that, like, in Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus, um, (laughs) there really are no redeeming characters, and Mm. those that are redeeming characters are so sickeningly good Mm. that you're like wow this is definitely being viewed through the lens of somebody who's like sanctified this person in their mind Mm. and romanticized this person after the fact Mm -hmm. um because there's no way that there's a human being on this planet that's that genuine and pure um sorry (laughs) (laughs) so so just like it, it had such a huge impact on me then because of all of the like moral elements that it touches into of like messing around in things you don't know how to deal with Mm, mm -hmm. and like in a in a weird roundabout way like the terrors of parenthood Mm. and in another way of like 
learning not to play God, not feeling like you're above what you are capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, there are so many things about it that I see now reflected like in my own writing mm-hmm. um, and even my own like moral standing of how I view the world and how I go mm-hmm. about things in the world. Um, which is very, very interesting because it, it has had such a huge impact and I'm rereading it now, which is a wild ride because I have not read it since before college, mm-hmm. um, probably when I was like 20 or 21. Mm-hmm. So like solid five to six years minimum. So it's it's been a hot minute since I've read it and it's so wild reading it through again now and reliving things through the eyes of an adult Mm -hmm. versus the eyes of when I first read it and when I was reading it all through high school Mm -hmm. and all that because I connect to it in a a very different way Mm -hmm. um but still just as profoundly which I think is really Mm. interesting yeah I really like both of our Fahrenheit 451 books and I feel like no one who knows us would be surprised by this (laughs) at all (laughs) at all what's really funny though is that like my favorite book is Totally opposite end of the spectrum. What's your favorite book? My favorite book is Tagarung by Brian Jakes. Oh, I did know that. Yeah. 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 Um, I've also never read that. <laughs> I'm, and I'm probably one of the few book lovers in the world. I shouldn't say that. I'm one of the few, at least, book lovers that I have met mm-hmm. that can just off the top of my head just be like, yes, this is my favorite book. Mm-hmm. I was um, that way for a very long time. Yeah. Well, because <laughs> that book, one, it just has so much <clears throat> nostalgia for me because... Yeah. Um, I think it was either the first or the second Redwall book that my dad and I read together. Because my dad used to read Redwall to me up until I was Mm. in middle school. Mm -hmm. Like, my dad would read to me at night up until I was in middle school. Um, Which is wild to me now just to think about. Because, like, if you hear somebody say that, you're like, what the heck? But it was... It was a really good experience. And I feel like I discovered a lot that I wouldn't have discovered before. Mm. Um, But, yeah, that book, for whatever reason, like sticks in my mind so strongly with nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can attest to this from some of our personal conversations. Um, a lot of the elements in that story hold true for a lot of what I feel strongly about now, um, which is these concepts of uh, redeemable people and mm. redeemable characters mm-hmm. and just redemption in general and the idea of <laughs> you can be a bad person and change or Mm -hmm. you can be a good person in a bad situation and find your way home kind Mm -hmm. of thing like that very corny you mean every D&D character you've ever played (laughs) shh no one asked you that's right we all fall into our own tropes (laughs) yeah so it just it, it holds to a lot of um things that I feel strongly about personally, but really shaped my moral spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that it shaped my moral spectrum, but it definitely is something that I connect to within my own morals. And hmm. I, I feel are mirrored hmm. in those stories. Very cool. Very cool. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually a really good segue into the rest of what we're talking about mm-hmm. and um, talking about some of the books that have impacted us most. Is that kind of your first one? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that would definitely be one that I would mark as one that had a really big impact mm-hmm. on me. Obviously, my Fahrenheit 451 book had a big impact on me right. as well in different ways. Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting because, like, there are books that I feel had a big impact on me as a child. Um, 
but also books that had an impact on me in different ways when I got older. Mm. Um, so one example is The Shining. And it doesn't seem like this may be big when talking about books that have impacted us. But for me, reading that book had a huge impact on how I viewed the book versus movie argument and mm. how I kind of consume media. How old were sense? you when you first read The Shining? Oh, I imagine God. probably younger than the average reader. <laughs> Actually, I don't know, because I read it oh, in okay. high school. Oh, okay. I read it, like, my freshman year of high school. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, yeah, because I had seen the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the first time that I see, that I, I had seen the movie. I've never seen it. It's very good. That's what I've heard. Um, <laughs> That's what I've heard about a lot of movies. You've also never seen Star Wars, <laughs> I've though. I've never seen so, anything. I mean, like, <laughs> this isn't surprising. Um... Yeah, but I forget when I had seen the movie first, but I really, really enjoyed the movie. In fact, the movie is one of my top ten favorite movies mm. ever. Wow. Um, and it was very interesting to me to hear that um, Stephen King hated the movie, or reportedly hated the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read the book and understood. I was like, oh... Mm. this makes sense. Because are they just vastly different? Well, they're the same story. Mm -hmm. That's the thing is that, like, they're the same story, but the way that the characters are portrayed tell the story in very different lights. Um, And I'm going to throw a quick spoiler warning up here. (laughs) Um, For both the movie and the book The Shining by Stephen King, the film directed by Stanley This is just for me. I'm the only human on earth who hasn't seen or read them. (laughs) Um, So the general story of The Shining is that um, this child, Danny Torrance, who has this power called The Shining, which is something like a telepathic ability, Mm -hmm. um, is five years old. And his father... Um, gets a job as a hotel keeper in this hotel up in the mountains that gets blocked off during the winter. So during the winter, they're going to be trapped there until the snow breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and by they, I mean Danny, his father Jack, and his mother Wendy. Mm-hmm. In the book version, it's so gut-wrenching because Jack is a recovering alcoholic who had lost his last job because mm. he was an alcoholic and beat the ever-living snot out of a student who slashed his tires. Mm. And, like, there are a whole bunch of things that happen throughout the book where you're like, oh, my gosh, this is a crisis for this family. Mm-hmm. And so through the whole book, you are rooting for this family. You are rooting for Jack to pull it together because the longer they stay at this hotel, the more the hotel takes possession of Zach, of Jack. And Jack is being pushed to basically murder his family. Oof. And so the whole time you're rooting for Jack, you're just like, oh my gosh, you want this family to get out. You want them to succeed. You want Jack to overcome these ghosts, both literal and metaphorical, mm-hmm. and be able to protect his family. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen. Mm. And it's gut-wrenching and heart-wrenching and terrifying because you love these characters Mm -hmm. in the movie the shining jack torrance is played by jack nicholson you know that he's the bad guy from the outset (laughs) (laughs) like like you're literally saying they're going like ah jack nicholson you're gonna axe murder somebody by the end of this (laughs) and he does Uh, you know (laughs) so it's less of horror in the sense of seeing these characters that you love go through these horrific things it's more Mm. sitting there going like wow this is really suspenseful and there's a five-year-old in it Mm -hmm. who uh 
may or may not get killed by his dad. <laughs> right. It's more of like the classic horror right, right. tropes. Um, but I love both. Mm-hmm. And so this is not going to be like an analysis of film to book or right. book to film, excuse me. Well, we don't have time to unpack all of that. <laughs> However, if you want a really good analysis of that, go watch um, Dominic Noble's review of The Shining. He talks about The Shining film versus The Shining book. Um, And some of his opinions are very similar to my own, and I feel like he just synopsizes it a lot better Mm. um, of some of my own thoughts um, in the sense of, like, you can love both versions and recognize that they're telling the story in vastly different ways. Mm. Um, And so reading The Shining after seeing the film, well, maybe I read The Shining later then, because I don't know that I watched The Shining my freshman year of high school. Regardless, Mm -hmm. um, I read the book after I had seen the movie, Mm -hmm. and reading the book, I'm like, this is so good. I Mm -hmm. love this book so much. Again, easily top 10 recommended books for me. Mm It vastly changed, like, how I looked at media and how I was able... Because everybody makes makes the argument of just, like, oh, the book was better, the book was better. Not necessarily. Sometimes the book is just different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if the film is good, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. I We could... That could be a whole podcast episode in and of itself because I think that, like, there's a time and a place for... They're just such drastically different forms of media. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's... Yeah, but that's the thing is that, like, before then, I always held true to the fact, mm. like, the book was better. Hands down, period. I don't even need to see the film. <laughs> and then, it, it's really funny also bringing that up because I just recently read um, The Maltese Falcon by mm-hmm. Nashville Hammett. Mm-hmm. Um, and that film <laughs> is, again, one of my top ten favorite films ever mm-hmm. in the history of ever. And I hated the book. Yeah. I hated it. Yeah, I remember you (laughs) telling me some of it. (laughs) So, like, it, yeah, it just, like, I, before reading that book, I always felt like the book has to be better, period, end of discussion. But reading The Shining, I'm like, oh, maybe it doesn't have to be better. Maybe it's just, maybe they can exist as their own entities and still be good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? So, I am going to kind of go chronologically, and obviously we can bounce back and forth of, like, yeah, whenever the, the mood strikes us. So, the first book that I ever... So, I have always been a reader. I've always been... Like, I... My mom tells the story of how I, when I was three years old, picked up a book and started reading it out loud by myself, and it was a book I had never read before. <laughs> and that's how my mom found out that I knew how to read, and just never stopped. <laughs> um, so I have always been a reader. But one of the first books that I ever consciously remember, like, actively impacting me, it was the first book that I ever read more than once. Mm. So I had been a very fast reader. And I would just read things and then not come back to them and read them and not come back to them. And this was the first book that I had ever gotten to the end of it. I actually read it twice in the same day. Like, that was how much I liked it. Mm. Um I was 11, and I read Bridget Terabithia for the mm. first time by Catherine Peterson. Patterson? Catherine Patterson, I think. I have no idea. Um, my grandmother had given it to me as a gift. Um, she thought I would really like it, and she had she had been previously a, um, like, early elementary uh, middle and middle school teacher, um, and she had read it to her class, and so she thought that I would really like it. 
shock of all shocks, she was correct. I now have a tattoo of Bridget Arbithia. So, like, this book has had long-lasting impact on me. Um, and it it kind of kicked off... It, it was one of the first books that I remember... I had already wanted to be a writer, but it was one of the first books that I read that I remember thinking, like, oh, I can write things that are, like, genuinely impactful. Like, I can write things that will make people, like feel which Mm. is such a weird thing to not realize as a person but like it it was it was and that's how a lot of the books on this list are for me is like just reminding myself of like oh wow like like yes there is literature that's just like fun to read but there's also so much that is like like what we talk about all the time It, it it does it like shapes you as a person and it can really like be very emotionally impactful yeah so shortly after that uh, that was when I was 11, so that's, like, fifth... I think it was the summer after my fifth grade. Um, and so then, like, sixth to eighth grade, I read, like, three books. I don't remember in what order. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I remember reading them and loving them and being obsessed with them. And I still love them to this day. Um, Little Women by Louisa May Alcott, mm. which I do love. I have, like, seven copies of it. <laughs> and every I've seen every movie adaptation at least three times. Wait, you um, own seven copies and you came home, like, two weeks ago with another copy? That was the seventh. <laughs> that was the seventh copy. <laughs> and to be fair, two of them are digital. I only own five physical copies. That so. doesn't make it better. Um... <laughs> Um, Secret Life of Bees by Sue Monk Kidd mm. and A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Lingle. And all three of those books were extremely impactful to me. I think because they had um, young main characters who like go through a lot, mm. um, which I did at a very young age, you know, like just will actually weirdly talk about that a little bit later in the pod. Um, I am not too much. Don't worry. <laughs> Um, I was going to say, I didn't realize. No, no, no. We won't, be, session, we won't yeah. be getting into a lot. So all three of these books have very, like, strong but very young lead um, characters. Uh, all female. And as a person who grew up female, I, I think that that was really impactful to me to see these characters who, um, who despite what they had gone through, came out, you know, successful came out getting what they wanted out of their own story. And I think similar to Bridget Terapathia, they all they all kind of share this um, concept of of using creativity and using your imagination to to honestly survive um, whatever it is you're going through. They also are all very different books that have very different characters, but I think that was the common thread for me of why I enjoyed them so much. They they tackle a lot of really hard and painful things, especially Secret Life of Bees. Um, but I think one of the things that made it most impactful for me was just these like strong, young female characters who don't let the world stop them or their circumstances. And I think that was really powerful for me growing up. And it kind of, it, it made me, you know, feel like I could make it mm-hmm. <laughs> out of wherever I was. Um, also... Bridget Terabithia, Little Women, and Secret Life of Bees, um, all three of the main female lead characters, who I've already mentioned, were like strong, independent, young characters, were also writers. And so for me, as a young writer, seeing these women write their way out of their circumstances was hugely, hugely influential to me, clearly, since I went on to be 
a writer. <laughs> so, yeah. So those were my, like, big three when I was in, like, younger, um, in, into middle school age. Nice. And that was, right after that was when Catcher in the Rye happened. So, like, you know, we took a wild divergence. <laughs> Although I would, I would argue that uh, it, Catcher in the Rye it has a similar, um, it's about a kid trying to figure life out. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably what my, like... That's my trope that I fall into is just like, well, I don't friggin' know. I'm just trying to figure it out. <laughs> Hi there. Sorry for the abrupt ending. We realized after we sat down to record that this conversation is a much bigger one than we had originally intended. So instead of doing one episode that's way too long, we edited down what we had recorded thus far and decided to record part two at a later date. We hope that you'll enjoy part one of this conversation as we've really enjoyed the opportunity to share with you this incredibly vital part of our journey as people, writers, and readers. If you want to stick around for more of the fun, including part two of this conversation, remember to follow us on Spotify. You can also follow us on our social media at Choice Words Podcast on Facebook and Choice Words Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Since this is an ongoing conversation, we'll put the full list of literature we mention at the end of part two. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye!